Vladimir Putin and Xi Jinping came together to talk about how to take over the world. Meanwhile, we're meeting with the cast of Ted Lasso and debating whether coffee is racist. So things are going great. The world may be going to hell in a handbasket, guys, but today we're going to laugh about it because sometimes that's just what you have to do. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Good Ranchers. Go to GoodRanchers.com. Use code Allie at checkout. That's GoodRanchers.com. Code Allie. Hey, y'all. Welcome to Relatable. Happy Thursday. Hope everyone has had a wonderful week. All right. We are closing out our first week in the new studio. Thanks so much for your feedback. I love to comment that I got saying that you don't even remember the old music. And for those of you who are a little ornery and crotchety on YouTube about the changes, I promise you will get used to it. It's all for the better. Thanks so much for y'all's encouragement and celebrations, especially as I announced my third pregnancy. Yay! Just a reminder that you have until this evening, Thursday evening, 12 a.m., to enter our giveaway and you can go to my Instagram page. I've got the giveaway post up with all of the directions that you need to enter to win. We've got lots of good stuff in this giveaway. We've got brand new relatable merch, which you don't have to enter this giveaway to get. You can just go to AllieMerch.com, use Allie10 promo code. You'll get 10% off all our new awesome stuff. Um, but you can enter in to get some new merch. And also you can get some awesome stuff from our sponsors, like some range leather products a $100 gift card to go to ranchers, $250 gift card to Carly Jean Los Angeles, lots and lots of amazing stuff. So make sure you go to Instagram, you check out how to enter to win and make sure you do that by tonight because time is almost up. All right. The theme of today's episode is laugh so you don't cry. We're going to look at some ridiculous stuff that's happening in our world and we're going to have some fun with it. The reality is things look pretty bleak for the state of our country, and it's a chosen decline. It is because of policy choices that the people in charge have made, that our elected officials have made, most of them Democrats, some of them Republicans, to sell out Americans um, in the interest of themselves, lining their own pockets, giving themselves power, and also helping out other countries all at the expense of the health of the American people. So we are facing all kinds of crises. We are facing an economic crisis. We are facing a supply chain crisis, as we have been for the past few years, as as has been building for the past few years. Obviously, we are facing a cultural and a moral crisis. The people in charge, all of our cultural influences can't even define the most basic fundamental facts about human existence, like what a woman is. We are glorifying sin and we are condemning that which is good, calling evil good and good evil. So we're in a bad spot. We talk a lot about that bad stuff and we try to approach it from a biblical perspective and remember that the Lord is still Um, in charge and that he is sovereign over all of it and that his victory is sure. But we do have to look at the evil that is going on and to make sure that we are standing firm against it because that's the at the end of the day, that's really all we can control. But within this is a lot of humor. There's a lot of ridiculousness. There is a lot of material for comedy and for satire. And sometimes you just have to make fun of the things that are being said by the cultural elites, the things that are being shown to us, the way we are being led, just so we don't always sit in a state of despair. So the things that you are going to look at and hear about today, we're going to be laughing at, but again, we are laughing as medicine. So we don't just wallow in our tears and in desperation, wondering when is Jesus going to come back and save us from this mess that we're in and the evil people who are leading us. So first, we are going to look at the wedding of two powers, of two dictatorships, and that is Russia and the Chinese Communist Party. You know, they have already talked about joining forces and with Iran, another dictatorship um, in this war between Russia and Ukraine 
as America has given so much aid, billions of dollars of help to this small country of Ukraine, all in the name of democracy. And it is shaping up to not be a great battle. We don't like it when three dictatorships come together who all have a shared hatred of the West and in particular the United States in common. And as these powers are coming together, well, I'll show you how our leaders are handling this crisis and what they're focused on. But first, let's look at this recent meeting this very grand opulent meeting between Xi Jinping, who is the head of the Chinese Communist Party, and Vladimir Putin, the head of Russia, coming together to talk about how the world is going to change and how they are excited about it, which is chilling. So here they are coming together. And if you're not watching on YouTube, you need to because it's kind of entertaining. Okay, here we've got Vladimir Putin coming in at... Five seven. We've got um, Xi Jinping coming in at about five eleven. I would guess that Vladimir Putin weighs I don't know a buck eighty five. Maybe no, maybe less than that. Xi Jinping, um, apparently, who is five eleven, which really means probably five nine. He might be coming in a little bit more than that. Yeah, these are hefty boys. All right, so they're coming together, as you can see on this middle carpet. They're coming to shake hands. I can't imagine how awkward this is. I also wonder, were they making eye contact that entire time? It's like you're walking down a hallway and you see someone from afar that you know and you're not ready to say hi because you'll have to say hi like five times before you actually see each other. Um, so then they took the picture together. They didn't put their arms around each other or anything like that. I think they're actually in Russia meeting. You see the Chinese flag. You see the Russian flag. They come together and they stand there. They don't smile for these pictures. Also, I don't know if we can pull it up as a as a picture. Maybe we can. Um, when they enter the room and they've got the guards opening the doors, one thing that you'll notice that I just wonder like what the policy is or what their reasoning is, the guards that open the doors, they have to... They're standing perfectly still, except their head is like on a swivel and has to turn towards their leader. And yet it looks like if you look closely that their eyes actually stay locked on each other and that they can't move their eyes, but they're moving their head. I can't imagine how uncomfortable that is. Um, I was actually teaching my toddler the other day because she is interested in animals um, that owls can actually swivel their head like 270 degrees all the way around. That's kind of what it looks like these guards are doing. I wonder what their reasoning is behind that. They have to turn their head toward their dictator or else maybe they get decapitated. I don't know what it's like. Okay, here's a little clip also of Putin and Xi Jinping talking afterwards. I, I guess their meeting went well. That's sweet. All right. Okay. Um, let me interpret for you. Since I know Chinese and Russian fluently, Xi Jinping said, change is coming that hasn't happened in a hundred years and we are driving this change together. Putin said, I agree. Xi Jinping, please take care, dear friend. Putin, have a safe journey. That is chilling. That's chilling. Like we are talking about two dictators, two countries that have no interest in human rights whatsoever, have no interest whatsoever in free speech, freedom of religion, who are only interested in their own power. I don't think people understand all of the anti-American progressives who over the years have said how terrible it is that America is the global superpower, that we have only been a vessel of oppression for all of these years and of course spreading evil things like white supremacy. Like I don't think that you understand that there is always going to be a world superpower. And if it's not a country with a constitution like the United States, we all believe it's actually embedded in our founding that human beings are made in the image of God, that they're given by God certain inalienable rights that the government should not have the right to arbitrarily take away. If you do not have a country that is leading the world with that kind of foundation, which I agree, we've done so extremely imperfectly. I would certainly say that as someone who loves this country and loves the constitution. 
um, then you're going to have dictators do it. Do you want to know what that looks like when they're in charge? When they run the world economy? When they um, have the responsibility then to police the world and make sure their boots are on the ground everywhere and they're imposing their values? I mean, that's part of why I am a nationalist, although I recognize there's always going to be a world superpower that's just the way it is. Entities like China and Russia, Iran, they're not interested in just kind of paying attention to themselves without trying to claim world power. But I do believe that America, like all countries, should put the interest of their own people first. I don't think it's good for countries to be going in and meddling in all of the affairs of other countries. I think it's good to put the interests and the security of your people first. And it's actually amazing how many people on the left, especially the so-called Christian left, think that that's bigoted or wrong or fascist or Nazi-like. Actually, I think that's the most compassionate, most logical, most peaceful approach that you can have um, to geopolitics and national politics is simply taking care of the business that you have first. That doesn't mean that we're isolationist. Um, But I think that we've seen now like what it looks like to be so involved in the conflict of two other countries like Russia and Ukraine, selling out our own interests and safety and security to do so. Well, it's actually creating a new axis of evil that is probably going to make us extremely vulnerable. So it's not shaping up to be a good thing here. And so how are our leaders handling all of this? What meetings are they having? Well, the first meeting that I've that I've seen to discuss all of this very important stuff, what is maybe the end of Western democracy, is a meeting between the cast of Ted Lasso and the White House. So we'll pull up a picture. Here's the cast of Ted Lasso, which I'm so sorry. I know that there are a lot of Ted Lasso fans out there. My husband fan of the show Ted Lasso. I tried to watch it. All right. I love comedy. I love comedy. I love comedic shows. I could sit here and talk about all of them. I did not like Ted Lasso. I understood why people didn't like it the first season. It was cute. It was lighthearted. It was light on the wokeness. And then, of course, as they always do, they dabble into politics in the second, third season. And it just wasn't as good after that. Um, And here... Ted Lasso is, he apparently took questions at this press conference. Uh, He was hugging Karine Jean-Pierre. He apparently took questions at this press conference as Ted Lasso. Why? I don't know. I'm not really sure. Um, And so that's what's happening. That's our serious country. That's where our focus is and where we are channeling our energy for literally no reason that aligns with our protection or safety or well-being at all. And perhaps it's because this is who we have as our leader. We have President Joe Biden, who I'm so sorry, but he cannot talk. He can't talk. All he was doing here was reading from a teleprompter On Tuesday, he hosted an event at the White House to honor the 12 recipients of the National Humanities Medals, an award honoring individuals or organizations whose work has deepened the nation's understanding of the human experience, whatever that even means. So here he is trying to honor one of the winners. It's a poet named Richard Blanco. And remember, he is reading this. It's not from memory. He is reading this. And here's how that went. And always one moon, like a silent drum tapping at every rooftop. And every window on every in, of every county, country. Let me start this over again. Okay, and he actually says he. You can tell he's about to say, "Oh, I'm getting so old," and then he he switches. So he actually had the ability, the awareness at that moment to say, "Oh, I shouldn't be saying I'm getting so old," but that's what he's about to say as his excuse. I'm like Biden. We know. We know. You remember the Civil War. We get it. This was a mistake, guys. This was a mistake. And I don't think that we should be electing people who are this old. It's not Joe Biden's fault that he's this old. I mean, I don't think that he's a dumb person. 
I think that he's just old. And this is how old people act. They can't see very well. They don't have very good memories in a lot of cases. Not all cases, of course. There are very sharp people who are Joe Biden's age, but he's not one of them. <laughs> he's not one of them. He needs to be on a beach in Delaware. And it's it's cruel. It's cruel that Jill and the other people in his life are putting him up to this. But that's because he's just a shell of a president. He's not making any of these decisions. That's why you have freaking Ted Lasso up there when Xi Jinping and uh, Vladimir Putin are meeting together because he doesn't know what's going on. Other people are making these decisions who are more interested in progressive morality, progressive culture wars than they are in protecting the United States. And speaking of Jill, Jill seems to also be frustrated. Jill Biden seems to also be very frustrated with Joe Biden. And maybe this has been happening for a long time. So this is yesterday. He hosted a reception celebrating Women's History Month. What do you want to bet there are some men there who say that they're women being honored? Um, and, you know, by the way, like the Joe Biden behind the scenes, when someone tells him like, hey, do you think men can be women? He's like, oh, and he doesn't believe it. He's like every other old man out there who understands biology, but he has to pretend again. So here he's airing out his marriage problems <laughs> with Jill Biden yesterday at the White House. We were talking inside. Jill has, and I think I told Nancy this before, Jill has put some messages on my mirror while I'm shaving, so I make sure I see them. <laughs> and one that was put in about a year ago was, stop trying to make me love you. Stop trying to make me love you, Joe. I'm never going to love you. When are you going to get that through your thick head that I married you for power, buddy? I always wanted to be the first lady. Now I am. Stop trying to make me like you too. It's too much to ask. Stop it. Why would he say this? Did he mean to say something else? Actually, I watched the clip afterwards and everyone's like, <laughs> as they often do when he says things that don't make any sense, just like you do when you visit your grandfather in the nursing home and he says something that he wants to be a joke. And of course, you love him and you respect him. And so you laugh at it. But you're like, I have no idea what he just said or why he even said that. That's exactly what's going on here. People are laughing so they don't cry. People are laughing because they're nervous about this. Jill Biden's probably mortified. <laughs> like, what if she what if that's really what he meant? And he like she really wrote that on a note like she actually didn't write him notes like encouraging notes every day. But every day it was like, I hate you every day. I wish I never married you <laughs> every day. Stop trying to make me love you every day. You have terrible breath. Like, what if that's what's going on here? It's really sad. I don't know if I would be that surprised. It has to be a cruel woman that allows her husband in this state to be president. It's got to just be like a naked thirst for power here. So that's our president. Good times, good times, good times. I don't think that we have to wonder at all why we are in the state that we're in, y'all. Um, all right, some more ridiculous things coming our way in just a second. Let me pause. Let me tell you about our first sponsor for the day. This is a new sponsor. I am so excited to tell you about this business. It's really, really special. So this business is called Quinn's Goat Soap. And Quinn is a 15-year-old who started this business a few years ago. Okay, so I love this story. I talked to them on the phone the other day. They're a sweet Christian family. They're just amazing. So a few years ago when he was, I believe, about eight years old, they asked, what do you want for Christmas or what do you want for your birthday? And he said that he wanted goats. He thought that it would be a really good idea to try to make products from goat milk because he was at a store one day and he saw that some goat soap or a goat product cost a lot of money. He was like, I think this would be a lucrative business. And so him and his family have been making this goat soap and I've tried it. It's amazing. Also hand balm from the goat milk. Amazing. So soft. Smells so good. Also, they make shampoo. They make all different kinds of things. And he wakes up 
every morning when it's um, when it's the season to do this. I don't know that much about taking care of goats and he milks the goats. He takes care of them. So this is a kid who has been learning responsibility for a long time and has been helping to provide for his family through this company. So I, I just think it's amazing what they're doing. And this is like this is the biggest advertising spot that they've done this podcast because they were like, all right, we're doing well. We really want to reach a new audience. We think that Allie's audience would love this. And I was like, I completely agree. So let's come through, fam. Let's come through for Quinn's goat soap. Make sure you go to QP. That's QP. Q is in Quinn. P is in penguin, let's say, qpgoatsoap.com and use code Allie for 10% off the total order. That's qpgoatsoap.com, code Allie for 10% off the total order. Let's support him. Let's show him that his hard work matters, that we support family businesses. I mean, this is natural stuff. This is great smelling stuff. This is stuff that's good for your skin. qpgoatsoap.com, code Allie, qpgoatsoap.com, code Allie. Okay, I don't know if you guys saw this headline about um, coffee being racist. Every week it's something now. Shoelaces are racist. Dog parks are racist. Brushing your hair is racist. Breathing as a white person is, is racist. And this time maybe coffee apparently is racist. And the reason why this actually connects to the first segment that we just had is because race propaganda has actually been pushed by the Chinese Communist Party and Soviet Russia in the United States for a very long time. In the 1930s, Soviet propaganda tried to lure black Americans actually away from the United States. And one propaganda poster, we'll put this up on YouTube so you can see it. There was a shackled and bloody black man beneath the Statue of Liberty. It's juxtaposed posed with a pretty picture of a rainbow nation. And so under the the first picture of this black person being oppressed by the United States, it says uh, under capitalism. And the second reads under socialism. Isn't that a familiar message that we keep hearing from the left and have heard, especially recently? Over the past few years. Um, and so a lot of the propaganda Um, that's pushing the race wars, a lot of the funding behind it is actually from Russia still today and also the Chinese Communist Party. Like after the George Floyd incident, which we've talked about before, you saw uh, state actors on Twitter who are just part of the Ministry of Propaganda for the Chinese Communist Party talking about how awful and racist the United States is, how they need to stand for racial justice, social justice. I mean, this is at the same time that they have one million Uyghurs who are enslaved in the country of China. I mean, they don't believe in human rights. They are um, an atheistic totalitarian regime. They don't believe that people are made in the image of God. They don't believe that individuals have innate worth during COVID. I mean, the New York Times even reported on this. China was evicting African immigrants from their homes, kicking them out of restaurants, pushing this false narrative that it was actually the black people in China, actually the Africans in China uh, that were spreading COVID. Of course, that was absolutely ridiculous, but they use any excuse to discriminate against the people that they wanted to want to discriminate against. And so it's all hypocrisy. That's what they do. That's what Russia does. That's what the Chinese Communist Party do. So just remember that. Remember that, that so much of the progressive left wing propaganda that we hear is actually being promoted, promulgated from foreign actors that want to see our destruction. Remember when we talked about last week, that study that said that its conclusion supported the idea that kids of gay parents actually fare much better than kids with a mom and a dad. And then we looked at the data and it doesn't actually prove that. We looked at the other studies that disprove that. And then we also found that study was at least partially funded by the Chinese Communist Party. And remember, the Chinese Communist Party does not allow LGBTQ representation in media or on social media. Gay unions, what is called gay marriage, is not legal in China. And so why would they be pushing that kind of progressive propaganda here in the United States except to divide and weaken and destroy? The same thing happens with race. So I'm not saying that this article that we're about to go into is written by the Chinese Communist Party. Unfortunately, there are people here who are all too ready to accept the kind of propaganda that we see um, that's being pushed by these kind of uh, 
foreign regimes. And so we have plenty of people, plenty of academics here who are willing to push this kind of insanity that really does the bidding of our enemies. So here's this. Here's this story. Uh, This is from this was circulating on Twitter. This is from Afro.com. Is coffee racist? How drinking coffee perpetuates white supremacy. Quote, every facet of the coffee industry, in fact, is rooted in racism. From the moment the whites viciously stole coffee from black and brown people to the present day Karen sipping her morning cup of white supremacy. Whites have been able to drink the fruits of our labor and our, our culture with impunity. Okay, what? What? Again, this is just like everything with critical race theory, just like everything with this kind of racial so-called anti-racist ideology. It's not actually based on facts. It's not based on reason. It's not being perpetuated by people with a sound mind. It's being based on feelings. When you start with the premise, which a lot of these critical race theorists believe is a given, that white people are oppressors and that black and brown people are oppressed and you look at everything through that lens that of course this is the conclusion that you're going to come to. Now I'm not going to say that there has been no exploitation of people when it comes to the making and the sourcing of coffee. I think that's true of a lot of different things by the way but it has nothing to do with white supremacy, has nothing to do with racism whatsoever. But again, when this is your starting point, when all you're thinking about is white oppressors, black and brown oppressed, then literally everything can be colored by racism. Everything makes you a victim. The reality is, as we've talked about so many times, here's the history of the world. The history of the world is people being oppressed and people being oppressors. People of all nationalities, people of all people groups, people of all ethnicities, have been enslaved and enslavers. There is still slavery going on today in Africa and in Asia, and not a single white person is involved. Has nothing to do with white people. And yet, you won't see very many articles about that, how those black people in Africa are still being oppressed today because their oppressors are not white. And so you just kind of exclude that from the narrative because, again, it doesn't match your starting point, your premise, your assumption that. White people have a monopoly on oppression and black and brown people have a monopoly on being oppressed. That's just not historically true. White people have been enslaved for many, many, many hundreds of years throughout history. Black people have enslaved white people. And by the way, like these categories of black and white, they're also arbitrary based on like what melanin count. And so articles like this, they have a faulty premise, they have faulty assumptions, and it only exists to breed resentment and violence and hate. I actually saw this advertised on C-SPAN. It was some, I don't know, legislative meeting or something where there was some black activist. I don't think we have the clip right now saying, you know, calling for the extermination of white people, not the extermination of racism, not the extermination of white supremacy, but actually the extermination of white people. And that is why, I mean, I don't know if that's necessarily why, But that has to be driving some of the violence that we see. It is far more likely for a white person to uh, be assaulted or killed by a black person than the other way around. Despite the fact that black people only make up 13% of the population, that is statistically true. You can look at all the crime data in our country. That is statistically true. And yet we hear or we believe that it's the opposite, again, because of this faulty premise That white people are always the oppressors, black and brown people are always the oppressed. But if you actually break it down, if you actually want to look at the the facts, it's just not true. And you'll remember our friend Michael Knowles, he called for the eradication of transgenderism as the idea that a man can become a woman and vice versa. And I mean, he was absolutely maligned by every single media source as a Nazi. And yet this person, he's on live TV and he says that not Should we exterminate or extinguish white supremacy, but actually that we need to kill all white people? Crickets from the same people that were calling Michael Knowles a fascist for saying that we should get rid of a bad idea. Um, Okay, so it's not just coffee that's racist, apparently. It's also picnics. The the Philadelphia Inquirer, you probably remember this from 2020, um, said that the word picnic is racist, Um, which actually, if you look back at the history, the etymology of this word, it had nothing to do with this. It had nothing to do. They were saying it stands for something really bad that you 
picking inward and you kill them. Apparently that was what this article was saying picnics were about when that's not really true. And by the way, that's not what people think of when they're thinking of going out to a park, laying a blanket down and eating some sandwiches. But again, it's all about stirring up resentment. Peanut butter and jelly. The New York Times says, um, December 16, 2016, peanut butter, jelly, and racism argues that peanut butter and jelly being associated is an example of implicit bias like black men and violence would be. You can read that article for yourself, see if you deduce anything else from from their reporting. Um, Kaiser Health News says that dairy is also racist. Civil rights groups say school lunch programs. Uh, dairy emphasis is racist because children of color are more likely to be lactose intolerant. <laughs> well, I also am sensitive to milk. I also don't do well with milk. So I agree with that. Sure, I agree. It is racist. Bicycling, Washington Post in 2021, American cycling has a racism problem. Remember the cover of the New York Times also said that uh, the equestrian world is racist because there are not helmets that fit um, certain kinds of black hairstyles. Again, is a helmet going to be safe if it's like six inches off of your skull? No, it's not. I don't think it has anything to do with you being black. Medium reported that running is too white. It doesn't have to be. Um, Again, agree. I don't like running, so running is too white. And it is because I am an ally that I choose not to. Uh, ABC said that national parks are racist. America's national parks face existential crisis over race. Not enough black people are going outside. So that's the problem. NPR say... um, that STDs, names of STDs can be racist. Monkeypox is apparently a racist name, <laughs> but it's not going away anytime soon. Okay, that's the most important thing. The energy system, highways. Um, this is what Pete Buttigieg says, that highways can be racist. Ballet, according to Marie Claire, um, is very racist because it has unbearable whiteness. There's just not enough black people going up on their tiptoes. Um, and then camping is racist, according to Fast Company. Philosophy is racist. Uh, Fox News, Loyola professor claims organized pantries. <laughs> organized pantries are rooted in racist and sexist social structures. Okay, I got to read this a little bit. The recent TikTok trend of showing off perfectly organized and styled home pantries is rooted in a history of classist, racist, and sexist social structures. Cleanliness has historically been used as a cultural gatekeeping mechanism to reinforce status distinctions based on a vague understanding of niceness. Nice people with nice yards and nice houses make for nice neighborhoods. This is Jenna Drinton, Loyola University Associate Professor of Marketing. What lies beneath the surface of this anti-messiness, pro-niceness stance is a history of classist, racist, and and sexist social structures. So you hear that, Black people? This professor doesn't think that you can organize your pantry. Um, You need to make it messy in order to really be pro-Black and anti-racist. So for that reason, um, I will be giving away all of the plastic containers and plastic boxes that are in my pantry, and I will be pouring chips everywhere this afternoon. Um, So that's what's racist. And then, oh, Robin D'Angelo. Our um, anti-racist Sherpa, she's got something to say that will solve all of these problems for black and white people. It's a really interesting solution to this. I feel like I've heard it before, but I can't, I don't know, I can't put my finger on it. We'll see if you can guess. Uh, Let me pause and tell you about our next sponsor for the day before I play that little clip. And that is Birch Gold Group. So if you've been listening to Glenn's show at all, which I do listen to a portion of it every morning, like he has been driving home how important it is to keep our family prepared, how important it is for us to have hard assets and the importance of us investing in gold because the economy is so unstable. We don't know what the future holds. Obviously, the people we have on the helm aren't taking all of our problems seriously. So you need to do what you need to do for your family. Buy gold to get a free safe to store it in with Birch Gold Group. Right now through March 31st, they will ship a free safe directly to your door. All you have to do is text Allie to 989-898 to get your free info kit on gold. Claim eligibility for your free safe. The Fed keeps raising rates because it's the only tool they must uh they have to keep inflation under control and it's not really 
working because you can't spend your way out of inflation. So you need to get some gold. You need to protect your family um, and make sure that you do it through Birch Gold Group. They've got an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. All you have to do is text Allie to 989-898. They'll send you a free info kit on gold. No obligation. Just check it out. See if it's right for you. Text Allie to 989-898. Allie to 989-898. Okay, you'll remember Robin D'Angelo wrote the book White Fragility. And you were told by all of your silly friends in 2020 that you need to read White Fragility. And actually, if you pushed back against the black squares, if you pushed back against all of the ridiculous things that we heard in summer of 2020, that riots are the voice of the unheard and all that stuff, then it's just because you are fragile. That is what we call a Kafka trap. They accuse you of something. And then if you deny being that thing, it's actually because you are that thing. So someone says, well, you're a racist. And I say, no, I'm I'm not a racist. And then they say, well, you're just saying that because you are racist. It's the same thing with white fragility. They accuse you of being some kind of white supremacist or perpetuating white supremacy, either knowingly or unknowingly. You say, well, no, that's not true. And they say, well, the only reason you're denying that is actually because of your white fragility. So it's a trap because there's no way out of it. You either have to accept what they say and say, okay, yeah, sure, your accusation of me is correct, which no one wants to say because you're not a racist. Or if you deny their accusation, and then you're just something else that's awful. So it's not, again, coming from a place of reason. It's not coming from a place of soundness. It's not coming from a place of logic or truth. Um, Rhetorical tricks, plays on words, logical fallacies are really all these people have. That's why when you hear Ibram X. Kendi, by the way, um, trying to explain what anti-racism is, he actually uses the word in the definition because he doesn't really have a clear definition of it. The most coherent definition that I've heard him say is basically that you have to discriminate against white people today to make up for past discrimination of black people in the hopes that in the hopes that everyone will end up one day, one day in the future on the same level or have the same outcomes, which is just a racialized version of communism. How has that worked out in the past? Has it worked out well Like you should look at the history of Zimbabwe under Robert Mugabe when he also threw racial resentment and this idea that white people are oppressors and colonizers when he went after the white commercial farmers in his country for the sake of his people, for the sake of black Africans. What actually happened to Zimbabwe after that? Did things go well? They used to be the breadbasket of Africa. Then they scared all of the white commercial farmers away. The indigenous people there didn't know how to commercially farm. Now it's one of the poorest countries in Africa because that's what communism does. That's what race wars do. How's South Africa doing? Not great. And so this kind of stuff just leads to destruction. And it's a shame. It's a shame on any Christian that pushes it. It's a shame on any Christian that pushes this idea of... of white privilege and unconscious bias against black people by white people, putting more responsibility for repentance and reparations and reconciliation on white people than you do black people. By by the way, that is what the Be the Bridge curriculum does. It does. It treats white and black people differently. It gives white people different responsibilities than black people. Like you should read some of the rules in the Facebook page for the Be the Bridge community what white people are expected to do and to not do, say and not to say versus black people. That's not impartiality. That's not the impartiality that God calls us to over and over again in the Bible. That is partiality. That's not the justice and true equity that God defines in scripture. That's the opposite of it. I could go on and on on that. And we have many times. But here's Robin D'Angelo's solution. This is a person, by the way, whose book has been promoted by many people in the Christian community. Here's what she says should happen to end the tensions or I guess end the oppression of black people in the United States. And then I'm a big believer in affinity space and affinity work. And I think people of color need to get away from white people (laughs) and and have some community um, with each other. Okay. Is that not, I mean, is that not happening? I, I think people... I mean, they congregate with people, they form communities around people, primarily who share their values, but also who share their same 
culture, share people that it's or share community with people um, that it's easy to get along with. I certainly don't think that black people need that kind of directive from Robin D'Angelo. But I want to point out the hypocrisy here. One, I mean, this is just segregation. All right. So if it sounds familiar to you, like if you're familiar with segregation in 20th century America, that's basically what's going on here. And then Scott Adams. So he is a cartoonist. He has authored for a very long time that I think it's called Dilbert, the Dilbert cartoon. So his cartoons are no longer being run in places like the Washington Post and other outlets because he said in a video that he thinks that white people should get away from black people. He believes that the black people in general don't like white people. He was referring to some poll, which I'm not sure about the legitimacy of this poll that he's talking about. He suggested that white people should separate from black people, surround themselves by white people, and that's just the way that it should go. I mean, he got absolutely lambasted for this in the media. He lost some sources of income that he has because they're no longer distributing his cartoon and just, I mean, from the left and the right called a total white supremacist racist where he would argue that he is not saying that white people are better. He's not saying that he dislikes black people or that he hates black people. Um, He just, I guess, based on this poll and based on some things that he believes that he's seen, that he believes that white people should separate from black people. So he gets canceled in a lot of ways because of that, at least maligned as a racist. Robin D'Angelo, is she going to get any widespread pushback for this? She's saying the same thing. She's literally saying the same thing as Scott Adams. And yet you will still have Christians promoting Robin D'Angelo. She's still going to get paid 20K an hour to make white people feel bad about themselves. And she is saying the same thing as 1970 segregationists said, the same thing as Scott Adams said just a few days ago and got lambasted for. And yet we're supposed to pat her on the back. We're supposed to applaud her. Like, do you see the toxicity of this ideology? Again, all it does is breed hate. And another example of that, there is a diversity chief at the Pentagon because every 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 Pentagon needs that. Every good Pentagon has a diversity chief. Her name is Calissa Wing. She's an Army veteran, thankful for her service, not thankful for her ideas. So she's the current DEI chief at the Department of Defense's Education Activity. Um, okay. And she tweeted this. This has now been circulated. I first saw it shared by Charlie Kirk. He says, this is the Pentagon's diversity chief saying she's exhausted by white folks. We are not a serious country. Calissa Wing says, I'm so exhausted at these, at these. I'm so exhausted at these. I would love to see someone be exhausted at me. (laughs) I'm so exhausted at these white folks in these PD sessions. This lady actually had the caudacity, get it? Caucasian caudacity to say that black people can be racist too. I don't, where would she get that idea? That's so weird. Hmm. I had to stop the session and give Karen the business in all caps. We are not the majority. We don't have power. A thread. (laughs) Why ask for assistance? That's so weird. I have no idea why someone would be around you hear the words that you have to say and think that black people can also be racist. Of course they can. Racist racism is not prejudice plus power. It's just discriminating against someone because you don't like the color of their skin, whether that's in your words or actions. And this person absolutely is. You can't tell me that black people can't be racist, that black, that white people can't be, or that brown people can't be racist. You absolutely can. And by the way, God doesn't care. God doesn't care what you define as racism. If you hate someone in your heart, that is hate. He's not interested in all of our fancy terminology and our euphemisms for hate. Like he doesn't judge black people less for hating white people than he does white people for hating a black person because he does not start with this faulty assumption that all white people are a little bit worse than black people, that all white people are a little bit more culpable. Um, of for uh, oppression than black people, thankfully, because God is actually impartial and just. Um, so that's the state of our country right now. Race relations have gone down the tube. Things were getting a lot better, don't you think? When Barack Obama was elected, like things were pretty good. Like it felt like it was maybe possible to move into 
this post-racial world, so not one where we didn't recognize differences, but one where those differences really didn't matter, where people were being rewarded mostly on merit. Now, affirmative action has existed for a long time, but it did seem like that was becoming less of an issue. And then we got these racial culture wars, especially when it came to police interactions and these narratives pushed and people realized, wow, I can really make a whole lot of money by making these previously obscure academic theories like critical race theory mainstream. We've seen the trickle-down effect of that. The trickle-down effect of that is broken communities, divided churches, looted stores. It's not good. It's not good. I mean, and again, the saddest thing to me is how many Christians have perpetuated this stuff, operating completely out of partiality because they think it'll get them points with the secular left. Newsflash, they're going to always hate you anyway until you completely capitulate. Um, All right, we might have a couple other things to talk about. Let me tell you about our next sponsor for the day, and that is My Patriot Supply. So we just talked about with our last sponsor, we don't know what the future holds. We've talked about the instability of the economy, but also with the supply chain. If things like really hit the fan, I mean, if things really go crazy and you just never know, or maybe you just find yourself in some kind of emergency situation, you want to make sure that your food supply is taken care of. That's what My Patriot Supply does. They send you a three-month emergency food supply kit. I would get one for every member of your family. And it's good when you put it away. It's good for 30 years. It's a three-month supply. And the stuff actually tastes really good. Hopefully, you'll never have to use it. But it's always better to be safe than sorry. So just buy it. It shows up at your at your house in unmarked boxes. Buy a box for every member of your family. And then if you need it, you have it. And you'll be really, really glad that you did. This is just not a purchase that you will regret. If you go to mypatriotsupply.com, you can save $200 per kit. Save $200 per kit. If you go to mypatriotsupply.com right now, mypatriotsupply.com, you'll get free shipping plus that $200 discount. mypatriotsupply.com. All right. That's all we got time for today. I guess there was some laughing, but mostly it's just sad. Also, I just, I I meant to say this at the beginning and I forgot. I don't know if y'all saw also that Kamala Harris wrote a letter to Dylan Mulvaney. I've been really trying not to talk about Dylan Mulvaney this week. He came out with this video pretending to be Eloise, you know, like the six-year-old little girl. And this is a grown man. But I'm like, okay, I try. I I did my earnest message last week sharing the gospel. Not that he will ever hear it, but hopefully from someone he will hear the gospel. But I still think it's an important message to put out there. And that's, those are my real feelings. But I have to be honest, like I, I go between feeling just so angry at the people, at, at what he's doing to influence young people and to believing things about gender and identity that just aren't true. And also just grossed out that this is a grown man that pretends to be a little girl that dresses up like a little girl it's like part of this for sure i don't think that this is necessarily all of it for him i don't know but it's definitely a fetish i'm sorry like five years ago when we had our thinking caps on just a little bit if someone told you like a grown man a 27 year old man with a five o'clock shadow if he pretends to be a little girl or dresses up like a little girl acts or talks like a little girl like do you think that person is well you would say no I don't think that person is well would you allow that person to influence your children no you wouldn't allow that person to influence your children of course not do you think that person should be glorified as some kind of hero by the White House I think that we would all laugh and yet that's what's happening right now Kamala Harris wrote a letter to miss Dylan Mulvaney just thanking him for his heroism And all of that, his bravery, and the funniest thing is, the most ironic thing is his authenticity, when in fact he has made an entire lucrative career out of pretending to be something that he is not, nor will he ever be. And once again, I will point out the irony in all of this is that if he were an actual woman, he wouldn't be getting a letter from the White House. He wouldn't be becoming famous. He wouldn't be getting all of these sponsorships in all of these partnerships, if it was just a woman dressing up as Eloise, if it were just a woman posting TikToks, like no one would care. It is because everyone 
everyone, no matter what they say, understands that this is a male dressing up like a woman. So that makes it interesting. That makes it bizarre. That makes it, I guess, for some people, courageous. It's the only reason why he has any attention. It's the only reason why Kamala Harris is writing him a letter. If he were an actual woman, he wouldn't be getting this kind of attention. And yet here he is. Exchanging the truth of God for a lie. I mean, God is so merciful and so patient that any of us, I mean, that this country even still stands, that this kind of evil, this kind of subversion and perversion is tolerated at all. And it's got to just be because he is exceedingly patient. And he just wants more people to come to him, to be called to repentance. Um, I read this morning. In my Bible reading, one of my favorite Psalms, and that is Psalm 24. And really, it's the first few verses of Psalm 24 that always just comfort me when I think about the state of the world, the people who are trying to run the world, like Putin and Xi Jinping, what we've got going on in our own country, and just the evil that is so pervasive and so big, and we just feel like we have no control over it, don't really have any power to push back against it. And then I read the first verse of Psalm 24, which is, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein, for he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. And Psalm 37 is also a comfort in that, that God is still on his throne. He is exceedingly patient, but he's not doing nothing. And as we said at the beginning, his victory is sure. He looks down from the heaven heavens and laughs at those who think that they are more powerful than him. No one is. Not Vladimir Putin, not Xi Jinping, not Joe Biden, not Kamala Harris, not Dylan Mulvaney, not Robin D'Angelo, not any of these ridiculous actors. God is in charge and he's got the final say. That's what I take comfort in in all of this. And that's why we can ultimately find joy. That's why we can laugh so we don't cry. Because we understand who's got it. We know. That's why we have hope. Um, All right. Last thing I want to tell you guys before we close out um, is just about Blaze TV. So Blaze TV is the awesome company that distributes this podcast. And they make it available to you guys. They make this all possible. And so I would love for you to support Blaze TV because while right now, we are available to you on YouTube, on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, everywhere. We never know how long that is going to be the case. We still deal with, behind the scenes, a lot of censorship. And I'm not just talking about conspiracy theories of suppression, like the knowledge that reach of the shows here at Blaze TV and other shows is being suppressed for ideological reasons. So a way that you can make sure that you can support me, support this show specifically, support conservative media, ensure that you'll always be able to access my content is becoming a subscriber of Blaze TV. It's not just my show. There's lots of other content, some content that you can only see if you are a subscriber. So go to subscribe.blazetv.com. Plus, if you are a student, if you are part of the military or you are a first responder, there's also a discount of $30 off of your annual pass. All you have to do is go to subscribe.blazetv.com, click the verification button. You'll have to show your ID if you fall into one of those categories just to prove it. Then you get your discount. So subscribe.blazetv.com. But for all of you, make sure you subscribe. It would mean a lot to me, a lot to Blaze TV too. Subscribe.blazetv.com. All right, Monday, we've got... Uh, Ginger, Jeremy Volo, they're going to be sitting on the white couch with us talking about all the things. It'll be a follow-up to our original conversation with Ginger. So make sure to send some questions if you're interested in me asking anything specific, and we will see you back here then. 